This is Robert Clotworthy, the narrator of The Curse of Oak Island, and I have a question for you. Could it be that you are listening to The Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream? This is a top pocket find, mate, for sure. Hey, welcome everyone to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. I am your host, Jeff Freeman, and sitting in the co-host chair tonight for Beyond Oak Island is Tom Burns. Hello, everybody. For, for our recap tonight, we have special guest Matt Hawley came along. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for coming tonight. Oh, glad to be here. We uh, we decided, uh, as you guys know, we, we love to do uh, The Curse of Oak Island. And as our name says, The Curse of Oak Island and beyond, this is one of those times where we get to go beyond. Not just beyond Oak Island, but as you know, and to other things that we talk about, Knights Templar and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, tonight we have Beyond Oak Island we get to talk about. And last week's show, uh, I think it was called uh, Riverboat Riches. Um, you know, they went out and Matt, uh, I'm sorry, Maddie and Marty, uh, went out to Kansas and met up with Dave and Matt Holly and, uh, had a great show. Uh, we reached out to Matt and asked him if he would like to come on and bingo, here he is. I mean, he was more than happy to come on. So again, thank you. We're honored to have you here tonight, Matt. So <laughs> really thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. Hey, again, thanks for letting me come on and keep sharing the story. Yeah, exactly. Hey, and I want to tell you too, folks, that um, uh, and I and I messed up. I did not get it in the description below, um, but we will get that linked on there. I will make sure that we get that in there. Um, Matt has a YouTube channel, um, and I tell you, we were out all watching it over the last couple of days, um, and he's got a new video up there about Beyond Oak Island and the episode, and he talks a little bit about that. So if you guys have not seen that yet, you need to go check that out. And of course, the website for the museum itself. I will get those linked below. I'm sorry I didn't get that done yet, but as soon as the show is done, I'll get that done. And I think uh, Jan and Linda will get those linked in the in the chat as well. So Matt, I'm gonna tell you when as we get started here, I'm so excited to have you on if you haven't noticed. Tell us a little bit about the uh, your YouTube channel and what you have going on there, and also the website for the museum. Yeah, uh, the Arabia's website is 1856.com, 1856.com, uh, the year that the, the boat, the Arabia, sank. Uh, the YouTube channel was really something that we just started back in November. Now, my background, um, I work at the museum, uh, but I've been working at the museum only for about the last 10 years or so. Um, my real profession in life is I'm a video producer. So I'm typically behind the scenes making video content, you know, shooting, directing. Um, but in the last year or so, um, we decided, you know what, there's just so many stories here in the museum that don't get shared on a regular basis that I said, let's just go ahead and start a YouTube channel. Let's just find some of these unique stories and just put them out there and just see if people like it. So that's what we've been working on. Uh, we've only got about eight or nine videos up there at this point, but we've got a lot more coming. Just again, just all about sharing the story of the Arabia and the collection that she carried. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, I, I when I watched the, especially the one that you just uh, put out about the Beyond Oak Island show, um, as soon as I started watching it, I know you've been in production, you know, video production for a long time, and I'll let you tell us about a little bit about that also. But I was watching it, and I'm like, 
how he's been doing this for a long time. I mean, looking at behind the camera, I mean, you were just, you, it was, you were entertaining. You were funny. It was all, and I thought, man, he's been doing this for a long time. And then I find out that you really haven't, you've been in, get, tell us a little bit about the production work that you've done over the years. Um, honestly, actually one of my starts, my first job in video production professionally was working for a company in Kansas city that specialized in civil war documentary. Um, and honestly, I think they hired me just because I was part of the Holly family that dug up the Arabia and civil war guys, historians, reenactors, they are all about authenticity. So these guys from all over the country, they know about the Arabia steamboat museum. So when this group was looking for an editor and my name kind of came around their desk, they said, oh yeah, I think let's hire this guy just so we get into the museum for free. And so I let them in for free. They got in there anytime they wanted. It worked. Um, it worked out great. But that was my start, you know, editing, you know, documentary, commercial, film work. And then I've been working as a freelance director, um, shooter, editor for about 13 years now. Um, so and then I started working in the museum about 10 years ago. Um, I started sadly out of tragedy. Uh, we lost my uncle Greg, who was oh. one of the partners, one of the excavators of the Arabia. And um, at the time, my uh, my grandfather, Bob, was still with us and he and my dad were running the museum. Um, but at, at that time, my grandfather was in his 80s, just wanted to slow down, do other things at home. So oh. I stepped in mainly so my dad could go back out into the farm fields and start searching for more boats. We had been wanting to dig another one for years and years. But at that time, he was a little too spread thin with all this, all the work at the museum and kind of moving the story forward. So I stepped in so he could go back out and find boats like the Malta. Nice. Yeah, that gave him that opportunity. And I tell you, like I said, there's some interesting stuff and I know more interesting things to come. I already I see that Linda is already linking the uh, uh, 1856.com and uh, the museum website and stuff out there. And, and again, we'll get that in the description below. Uh, so that anybody watching after the show tonight can just click on those links and to go right there. Really, really cool stuff. And you guys have to check that out. I mean, this this kind of thing really fascinates me. And I know Tom and I have been talking oh, yeah. about this, and it fascinates him as well, uh, this history. And the fact that you guys are preserving this history um, so well and, and bringing it out so that everybody gets a chance to really experience it um, I'm, I'm going to have to make a trip out to see, to go to the museum. And I see Linda and, and she's from Kansas and she's already telling me, uh, Missouri, not Kansas. I must've said Kansas <laughs> at the beginning. She's corrected me. And she said, the museum is in Missouri. The cornfield is in Kansas. So, okay. Thank you, Linda. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> Those are fighting words in this part of the country. So yeah. 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 It's a fine Apparently. detail, but it's a fine detail, but an important one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so so very much so. So, um, but as I was saying, folks, that tonight is was supposed to be just a, like a recap, um, and we, we'll kind of follow along with the show, and we will let Matt take us deeper and deeper into what uh, was about the show, about the show, and things that we know, as we've talked about with the Curse of Oak Island, we know that so much of the video. The cameras are there for hours and hours and hours and hours. And then we see about, you know, 43 minutes worth of what they filmed. Uh, the rest of it ends up on the cutting room floor. So it's so awesome to have you here, Matt, to help kind of go a little deeper into some of these things uh, that we saw and, and take us a, and give us a little bit more detail about that as we go along. So 
Um, I do want to do a little housekeeping. I just wanted to also say that, folks, I appreciate your being here. If you're on the YouTube side, if you would click on that subscribe button. Um, and then also the notification bell. If you click on that notification bell, um, you'll you'll be notified as soon as we go live with something like this. So Thursday nights, not every Thursday, but uh, quite a few Thursdays, we're going to be doing it beyond Oak Island. Tom and I uh, will be doing those. So um, and so you'll know right away when we go live, if you click on that notification bell. And also, if you'd like to help support the show, we have our Patreon channel, which is patreon.com. And then again, it is jfree906. And we really appreciate all the patrons that we have out there very much. So that helps to uh, pay for all of this and keep us on the air, right? So, all right. So uh, again, I and I don't want to do all the talking tonight, so I'll oh. just get us started. <laughs> and, uh, get, some and little, get some little slides up there. Yeah, get some of those. And, and, and believe me, Matt, uh, I tell you, the, the viewers have gotten used to me and my visuals. I always talk about my pictures that, you know, I show them all the time and I take them through that. Whether they, they seem to be okay with it, I don't know. Well, hopefully they are. But so we'll get started with the pictures. We got Beyond Oak Island and, of course, Riverboat Riches. All right. Um, you know, as the show started, we had Maddie and uh, Marty uh, heading out uh, on to out to um here i go again uh missouri make sure i get that right to the museum uh so they could meet uh your uh, matt and his father david uh, and there's a nice shot of uh coming into kansas city missouri now the show started off talking about the purchase of the um the louisiana purchase that was in 1803 uh, buying it from france for 15 million um, so that it, it talked that about that a little bit. Um, and here is a picture kind of showing, this was on the show, obviously last night and showing, uh, or on Tuesday night, showing the actual land mass that was purchased during that. This was an interesting thing because it opened up so much more of the country. And because of that opening up of the country, they needed a way, a good way to get goods and things out to that part of the country uh a nice way to get them out there um trains weren't really a thing yet uh making their way across the uh, united states so hence the river boats came into play um and why the the big need for them and that's what i i love about this so much is you get this education as you go yes we all learned about the louisiana purchase in school um but you get a more in depth when you look at something like this and find out this is why the river boats were so needed uh, was to move goods around. So, Matt, on that map for people, just back Oops. up. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead. On that map for people who aren't familiar with the United States, because there's people that watch us all over the world, mm -hmm. where roughly in relation to, say, the word Louisiana with the Missouri River flow? Yeah, it looks like you can almost kind of see the Missouri River coming down right out of there and cutting straight across the state and then coming, yep, right there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it hits onto the Mississippi. Mm hmm. Okay. Right, yeah, so, yeah, Mississippi being here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so good point there. Yeah, that's uh and that's just one of the one of the waterways. And and as we see, we'll see later on as we get deeper into this. Um that river is flowing. I mean, it's it's got a strong current. It is it is remarkably strong. And you saw later in the episode, um, we were out there on a boat, you know, going around trying to pinpoint the Radner's location. And this is a tame river compared to what it was back in the 1850s. You know, the oh. Corps of Engineers channeled it to what we see today. But back then, 
it was, you know, a completely different animal. And even today when we're floating around, you know, we'd be floating and we have a depth finder that's saying, hey, we got 12 feet, 13 feet, 15 feet. And then in a moment's notice, it could be four feet and it's just gone. So that's why so many of these boats sank is because the river was just so shallow at that time. The trees were just waiting to poke right into the bottom of these boats. And even today, you know, we're floating around, we're thinking, man, this, this would be a scary river to fall into. Yeah. Now now on the show that, that river was really moving. Would that be a typical rate of flow for that river? Yeah. Yeah. Especially that time of year, you know, we're, um, yeah, I would say that's actually pretty normal. Um, as you get later in the year, I mean, obviously it kind of slows down a little bit, a little bit drier of a season, but there are times that you're just sitting there and every season I go out to the river and I film for one of our displays in the museum. And so for 15, 20 minutes, I just sit there and I just watch this flow of the river go and it's, it's powerful. And that, what you saw on the show, that's very normal. That's typical. Wow. Because those logs are going by at an amazing rate. Yeah. That's the scary part right there. I was thinking, boy, one of those hits the aluminum pontoon on that boat, these guys are going to be swimming. Yeah. 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 The captain who who was taking us out on the river, he kind of had the same thought too. And there's a lot of times that you don't see in the show. He's like, all right, we're going to have to dodge out this way. We got to go this way. And it took a lot longer just because he's trying to avoid these snags the whole time. So he's trying to keep us in position and right. trying to avoid snag just coming down, getting ready to ram right into his boat. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And you know, and these river boats, I mean, it 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 I, I can't imagine trying to maneuver. And as you said, you know, they they hadn't dredged it, they hadn't the Corps of Engineers weren't out there working it, and they're they're trying to make their way uh and maneuvering these things through those treacherous waters. I, I can't even imagine. No wonder they said the life expectancy was like what three to five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three to five years, very common for steamboats. So if you get over five years for a steamboat, man, you're just you're just all profit at that point. You're you're a pretty lucky individual. Yeah, for sure. Wow. When you think about trying to turn something 170 yeah. feet long, oh, yeah. you know, over 200 tons in mm-hmm. that kind of current. Right. Yeah. I mean, look at this thing. I mean, there's there's a picture of one of them. This is the. Uh, I was trying to read what it says here. Oh, it says say. Well, I, I'm trying to read the front of it there. Uh, but this this particular one, I mean, look at the things that are on it. There's cars on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, this is obviously a lot newer. Um, but just just the size of these things is massive. I mean, here's one. Here's one of the older pictures here. All these barrels and kegs and whatnot and all the stuff that's stacked up on these. It's a wonder they could handle the weight. You yeah, know? they were they were built and just very similar to flat bottom canoes. So the canoes that we will all kind of get on the lake and putts around in these Mm -hmm. boats were made exactly the same way, very pointed at the, at the front and the back, and then just very, it evens out in the middle, very flat, but fully loaded steamboat like the Arabia could float in four and a half feet of water. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it it, it had like 222 tons of inventory on it. That's amazing. And, And that would be in addition to the weight of the boat which is typically about what it would carry. So yeah, you're talking about 400 plus tons all floating up that river and, and about four feet of water. Man, that that's truly amazing. It really is. Wow. I had no idea that it was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Arabia was considered just a medium sized boat. There were boats oh, really? nearly wow. twice as big as the Arabia floating on the Missouri river back in that time. Yeah. Yeah. So Jan said, so they're like barges in a way. Yeah. 
a float. Yeah. yeah like a big barge with, you know, a second story. Yeah, on it, a Two or three story boat. barge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And passengers up on top with all that cargo. I just can't imagine, you know, they had to be kind of flexible too. I mean, I would, I don't know. It just it seems kind of scary to me. Now I've seen some of those pictures of them, uh, you know, wrecked. Um, and, and it's, I, I, and they're all bent and twisted because of the, you know, being uh, on a sandbar or whatever, you know, um, I got into, you know, uh, shallower water and got uh, hung up. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Just amazing to me that they even you know, survived as long as they did. Um, uh, then there was the, I, they talked a little bit about some articles of some of the, uh, the ship of the riverboat wrecks uh, and, you know, the sinking of them a little bit. Um, uh, let's see. I was just looking at some of the, uh, they talk about Jim Irwin, the author of the Seamboat Disasters. Um, of the lower uh, Missouri river. Um, he, I don't know if he wrote this particular article, but you know, obviously they were covering some of that. Um, and then also Dr. Jeremy Neely, professor of history at the Missouri state university uh, was actually pointed out on the show as well as a person who would have a lot of knowledge about a researcher in all of this. Um, and again, the lifespan of these being on, on the lifespan of a regular riverboat being five to six years, but this on the Missouri river, like down to three, um, because it was so, uh, treacherous. Um, and it said by the 1870s, 400 plus, 400 plus shipwrecks, uh, on the Mississippi and the Missouri rivers, 400 plus. That's an amazing number. Well, we think based on the army Corps of engineers and the maps that we have, there's roughly 400 in the Missouri alone. So oh, wow. I don't even know what the Mississippi has, but wow. in the Missouri, yeah, you're talking 400. So good news. If y'all want to go dig up your own boat, <laughs> plenty to go around for everyone. So right. go for it. We'll go I to know. your museum. That'll be a lot of fun for us. I suppose with, the rivers, <laughs> with those rivers being so shallow, once one of those huge boats hits the bottom, it's going to reroute the river. It's going to cause the river to flow it around it. Mm-hmm. The, very well, those, the well in the in the missouri specific the the riverbed is just so soft and so sandy and silty that the weight when you have 400 plus tons and that boat's going down it hits that soft silty bed the boat's got nowhere to go but down and the water is okay. going to go underneath the boat and as it draws all that sand out from underneath it that's what pulls these boats down into the mud so it's kind of like quicksand. If you ever quicksand, or yeah. sit on the yeah, on the beach and you feel the the waves pull the sand out, oh, from under yeah, your feet, you feel yeah, your yeah. feet go down. Yeah, that's what it's yeah. like for these boats that are getting pulled down. So the water is going to keep on going. You're not going to stop. Oh, okay. The river's not going to change its course. It'll no. eat up a boat, but okay. that's what pulls these boats down, and that's why no one could get to the Arabia. That it just got pulled oh, okay. down so quickly. By the time they got all the people off the boat, it was too dark that night. And so the captain told all the crewmen, he said, guys, come back first thing in the morning. We'll see if there's anything of that boat, the cargo we can salvage. When they wow. came back the very next morning, all they could see of the boat was the very top of the pilot house and the smokestacks sticking out of the water. So the whole wow. of the boat had already sunken underneath just because the water was just going to push all that sand out from underneath it. Boat's gone. Wow. And that wow. would explain why everything's so well preserved inside then. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. It, it truly is, and I know that. For, yeah, and, and if you been anybody's been to the beach when the when the when the wave comes in and then it goes back out, you feel that sand coming out from underneath your feet. That makes total sense. I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I, 
you know, and, and, and again, you know, now if you have one that's sunk like that and you got the stack sticking up or the pilot house sticking up, even if it's only under the water, just a few feet, now that has become a hazard to the other ones that come along at least for a while until it, you know, gets yeah. torn apart. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, obviously when you see something like that, that's a lot different than a snag. You see those smokestacks from a distance. So you can kind of avoid, get out of the way of those. So yeah. most boats aren't going to run into another boat. That's just barely under the water. Right. Um, but no, yeah, they're, they, they. And they sink in a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah they, the take... people on the boat said it only took moments before they were having to get to the top deck and wait for a lifeboat to ferry everybody to shore. So all the people did make it off safe, but they said it was just happening very, very quickly. Yep. I had a couple of viewer comments here real quick. Um, Brenda Dixon, who uh, has helped our, our, out our show and our Facebook group with a lot of maps of where all of our members are. We're, we're almost at 25,000 members now in our Facebook group in just a little over a year. So it's been growing in leaps and bounds. Uh, and she's been keeping track of where everybody is. And I don't have a clue how she does it, but kudos to her for that but she said a very interesting to see uh the beyond show and to see what you guys have created the museum and what you're planning in the future uh we'll get to the future a little bit later in the show here but um yeah that we're going to get to the museum as well because that thing was fascinating i really i cannot wait to get out there and have a look at that um when i go i gotta go out and meet uh, linda at some point so when i'm out there uh we're gonna go to the museum and check that out um let's see you said um uh let's see oh uh cat fulton asked matt can you uh can you explain how these boats end up um in a field how they end up in a field at is it the river actually changes you know and that's that's another thing talking about how a river changes tom kind of alluded to it just a moment there um would it be at, at at floods when things flood and then the floods recede? Maybe it moves. I mean, do, what do you do? You know much about how that happens? Yeah, it's a combination of a lot of different things. One, because the shallow nature of the Missouri River bed, um, miles and miles of space where the river could and potentially was at one point or another. So when it rained, big flood, anything like that, the waters would rise up. And then natural erosion, just high winds could easily just push the water one way or the next. Steamboat captain said back in this time, certain parts of the river maps were irrelevant. They were useless because you could go up the river one week. It could bend this direction. You have one of those small floods, a big rain that comes in. And then literally just weeks later, the river could bend just ever so slightly in a different direction. So combination of that natural erosion taking place. And again, Back in the 1850s, when the Arabia was traveling, the river could be this wide. And when the Army Corps of Engineers came in, dredged the river, kind of channeled it to what we see today, it took this wide of a river and brought it down this narrow. Now, oh, it's wow. still a huge body of water. If you drive over the bridge, which you see in, in the episode, you can see how big this river truly is. But by comparison, it's pretty narrow. So now all these boats that have gone down for years and years no longer in the flow of the river they're now in farm fields mm -hmm. yeah and that makes them obviously easier to find i can't imagine when you were looking for the uh uh the one at the end there the radner uh, when you were looking for that one being in the river i can't even imagine trying to even touch that thing but we'll get to that as we go along here but the ones that are in a in a cornfield um obviously you can you can actually find them and then 
Um, and we'll talk a little bit later about how you have to go about trying to get them out and what time of year, because um, that was talked about as well. Um, yeah, we got a, a Noel Bur uh, Borg is here from Melbourne, Australia. So I wanted to point that out too. We got some folks that show up uh that are from so uh, Anne marie she's from uh, germany and i mean people that come here and it's like three o'clock in the morning for them <laughs> and yet they're here to watch the show i'm telling you that's uh that's a i really appreciate that a lot that they they uh they stay up so late or get up early to i don't know if they're just because they couldn't sleep or eh, we'll watch the show it'll put me back to sleep <laughs> um oh and brenda also asked i wonder how they figure out which one to go for is it because of its maybe ease or its location how do you decide you know what ship you're or what boat you're going to look for next that part is kind of wrapped in to what you alluded to earlier the future where we're wanting to take this story and what we want to do we've been telling the story of the arabian now for 30 years that's how long our museum's been open and it's been a great story but it's one chapter in, in, in a bigger book. And what we want to do is establish the National Steamboat Museum. So we want to go and get a boat from each decade of riverboat travel, starting from the 1820s through the 1870s. So with that kind of framework in mind, we see what we have with the Arabia Collection, General mm -hmm. Store 1850s. So what are some of the other decades? What are some of the other things happening in the country at that time that would be interesting stories? So the first part of it is really just kind of researching and trying to find, you know, an interesting little chapter in American history that interests us. And the, the story of the Malta being a fur trade vessel from the early 1840s, mm -hmm. that was something that just kind of piqued my dad's interest. And he thought that'd be that'd be a great one to go along right with the Arabia, because now you're not only seeing a different style of a collection but you're also seeing 15 years difference in technology. So right. when you have both these collections in a single museum, you can start in the 1840s. And when you go across and get to the 1850s, you're seeing the evolution of, you know, the boilers, the engines, right. um, just the everyday things that we can now start to see how they were really starting to kind of take shape. So yep. that's the general idea and what we're looking for when we go for boats. Wow. Yeah. And it, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting to find out. And like, I think they talked, he talked on the show about, you know, the Arabia because it was close by and it was going to be a look like it because it would in on, you know, now in a cornfield, it was going to be easier to locate, which, you know, gave that, um, but that was the perfect one to start off with. I think obviously it turned out to be, um, you know, and I, I don't think the, the Malta is that far. Like that's only, um, is that, how close is that to uh, Kansas City, the Malta? It's, it's about 80 miles. So from where we all kind of live, it takes it takes roughly two hours about just to, to get to where the farm site is, to where the okay. where the Malta is buried. So it's certainly farther out, but it is close enough that if you really wanted to at the end of a long day of digging, you could go home and sleep in your own bed. I mean, that is absolutely <laughs> possible. Um, right. But being that far out, we might have some overnight, you know, some kind of option for folks who are staying late and kind of mm -hmm. doing that thing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's close, but not that close. All right. So, so you mentioned these, these, these boats are in, it could be in a cornfield or whatever. How do you manage to convince the landowner? What yeah. kind of conversation is that? It's you a say, lot. I think, I think there's a ship in your field. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier now, now that we have the, the museum, that, that yeah. pitch is way easier back in the day. 
yeah, you'd knock on someone's door and, you know, I, I wasn't there obviously when my dad and all these guys went up to the landowner for the Arabius field. But I imagine the conversation went something like, you know, knock, 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 you know, judge Sorter, that's the guy's name. We're not crazy, but we <laughs> think there might be a steamboat buried in your cornfield. And we had no idea what to expect from an opening line like that. And to our amazement, the judge looked right at us. He said, oh, the Arabia. Yeah, come here. I'll show you where it is. And really? took us out. His great-grandfather had purchased the land from the Wyandotte Indians. And so for every generation of sorters who lived and worked on that field, someone had come along and tried to dig. So when we showed up, yeah. it was just the next dudes in line, you know, wow. looking for fame and fortune. And he said, yeah, it's, it's somewhere right about there. You look there, you'll find it. And sure enough, I think it took my dad hour and a half, roughly, not much more than that, to grid the field with his magnetometer and yep. find the boat. So there wow. you go. The Malta took longer. Malta took three years of searching. Wow. And Dave walked a little under 300 miles before he finally found that. Wow. Boat. But no, going up to folks now, we say, we're with the Arabia. And they're like, yeah, you come on. You, you look. <laughs> find a boat. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, really. You know, you and and you know we we talk and we're gonna I'm gonna jump back to the pictures here as we go along. There's a, a picture of a uh, I think this is an artist rendition or a model of the Arabia. Um, so uh, and we, and I might get a cat jump up on my desk here at any moment. I'm trying to pet her and keep her down off my desk, but if you see a cat suddenly jump up here, I'll you know we'll take care of that as we go along. Here. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, there's the uh, picture of the the Arabia. Uh, and here is a outside shot of your museum. Um, and it was really interesting when Maddie was inside. One of the things he said, you know, he, he, on the show is he said, yeah, when we were on the on the first floor, there were the gift shop. And he goes, I thought I thought this was the museum. And he goes, and then they took me downstairs. Um, so I, like I said, I can't wait to see this thing. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Linda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh anyway so there's the outside shot of this and this is right in kansas city right like like pretty much downtown area yeah that's in the river market just north of the downtown business district so yeah you can see all the skyscrapers from our front door oh wow all yeah. right so and there's the shot where they came in and they met uh you and your father david um and uh so i wanted to show that just uh because uh, that was there and this is now he was talking about this wheel now i'm i i've saw, i've seen these pictures uh, and and again talking about the 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 wheels on them these had the wheels on either side right and the left or you know on the port and starboard side um there was also the versions that had the big wheel in the back is that are these the older ones and those are newer versions do you know or the, the the side wheelers were um there were stern and side wheelers happening at the same time it was okay. a style right. choice now the stern wheelers became more popular over the decades so the the side wheelers kind of just kind of fell out of fashion just because you'd have wheels on both sides um you you couldn't carry as many people because so much of the boat is dedicated to having those wheels just right oh. here and right there it was very loud, very, you know, uncomfortable for people. So people wanted to travel in comfort and having the wheel on the back end of the boat allowed for more of the vessel itself to be far more comfortable. So they were still utilized, but on rivers like the Missouri, side wheelers were, were incredibly ideal because both wheels 
would be controlled by their own independent engine. So in need B, you could operate one wheel one way and operate the other way. So you could really navigate the river as needed. Uh, stern wheel is not nearly as navigable. Right. But again, they just, people wanted to travel on the stern wheelers. Right. That makes total sense because you're right. It would allow it to be more maneuverable uh, having these side wheels on them like that. Interesting. And uh, I hadn't really. Now, the, 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 the fuel to heat those boilers with, what would they use for fuel in those? Like as far wood. as, you know, this yeah. wood, not coal. Were, you yeah, wood, they were wood. wood. Coal wasn't, you know, just an available resource in this part of the country. Now, the trees lining the riverbanks, they were just right there as needed. So, and the entrepreneurs of the day um, were the guys who are out pre-cutting cords of wood. So when steamboats came up, they needed more wood. There were just already 32 cords, just cut, split, ready to go. They'd load it onto the boat, pay for the wood, and they just keep on going. They were the the gas stations of the day, basically. Right. So uh the yeah wood was the the resource for the boilers and engines interesting so and and i guess in this particular uh picture this wheel was not completely saved there was some parts of the pinion arm i think he said or something like that one of the arms was saved from the arabia but not the wheel itself correct yeah the wheel that what you're seeing right there uh that is a, a replicated wheel uh the actual wheels were greatly damaged during the sinking and everything but what you don't see right behind the kind of green wall we're standing against, you actually see the support structure. And the next scene when we're telling uh, Marty and Maddie about the size, the scale of the boat, you can see what we're talking about more. But the support structure and the pitman arm, that's the arm that connects arm, to the engine and goes back and forth like this that engages the wheel. Mm -hmm. All of that is original. So that all the moving components other than the wheel itself is original from the Arabia. It spins in our pool every day. Wow. Uh, Linda asked a good question. Uh, roughly, like uh, on a on a boat like the Arabia, how many passengers uh, do you think that would carry? Oh, I mean, it could carry a lot. On the night that it sank, it had 130 passengers wow. and about 20 or so crew. So you got about 150 people on board that night. Now, could it carry more? Absolutely. Um, but on that particular night, there was about 150 people on board wow. that boat. That's amazing. Um, and this was a picture where they were showing uh, that your father was uh, giving a description of how the, um, the, 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 the river will change and move. Uh, obviously, at one point, the Arabia obviously was in the river. <clears throat> uh, and then as the river changed, now it's in a cornfield just close to the river, but not right. Uh, so he was in that was in 19. I guess this picture 1988, it says here uh, mm -hmm. or this particular um, finding of it or whatever i get is that when he uh search oh yeah the search started in 1988 okay that's that's why that's labeled that way okay and arabia being 171 feet long mm -hmm. yeah the, the excavation took place in 88 i think he actually found the arabia i think it was yeah it was 87 so it was the year before and if you want to dig up a steamboat, you kind of need about a year to, to get all the logistics in place, kind of know what you're getting yourself into. So you find it the year before, you determine if it's a boat worth going for, and then you're hopefully digging the next winter. So so when you go to put a project like this together, it must involve a lot of people. Like you said, it's not a one-man operation, right? No, 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 no. I mean, my dad can do a lot of things, but I don't know if he could dig up a whole steamboat by himself. You know, he, he's kind of a renaissance man, but that's that's an undertaking. You need a team of people uh, yeah. to do this. And so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Oh, I was just going to say the, um, the, the main core group of guys who did this was my dad, Dave. He's the one that took the service call. He, you know, we fix furnaces and refrigerators for a living. So they talked about in the episode, uh, but met the guy who was talking about Bigfoot, UFOs and steamboats. And so my dad just was visiting with the guy, thought this is an interesting story. And then he called, you know, my grandpa and my uncle Greg on their little radios Mm -hmm. on their trucks and just said boys meet me at jerry's uh i got a story to tell you and (laughs) jerry was a a, was a long-term friend of us of my grandfather bob in particular they were good buddies for years and years jerry ran a a chain of fast food restaurants in independence so they would frequently go there for lunch just kind of catch up so all four of them piled into a little booth and my dad kind of recounted the whole story that he just heard and that's when they all said this is yeah if you if you go find a boat we'll go dig it so everyone wow. just kind of hopped on board. And later on, our fifth partner, a guy named Dave Luttrell, he owned a construction company and uh, he actually, you know, owned a tractor and backhoes and everything. So we were, we're really excited when, when Dave wanted to jump on board. So it took all five of these guys to make this happen. Wow. Yeah. Lots of, lots of things. You know, it's you even even the finding of it you know i mean obviously your father was walking around with a magnetometer out in cornfields and and trying to locate and i think that was the boiler right i think you mentioned that that he was looking for the boiler because that's the thing that's gonna you know show up with the magnetometer i suppose Um, and then like in this picture shows once you do that um then you know as when marty and maddie were out there you were doing uh, you had a drill rig going and you were drilling down to try to find the uh, the wood and make sure you hit it. Um, right. And that becomes that process like, um, you know, they do on Oak Island where they're, you know, drilling down, trying to find tunnels. Uh, you miss a lot. But then when yeah. you hit now, when you've hit something, you need to keep drilling in that general area to follow the hit. So you can follow exactly where it went. Is that pretty much the same type of process to be able to you have to kind of follow it along so you know where it's at? Yes. Now we have the fortunate benefit of knowing what we're trying to tap down on. We know from the records, the general Mm -hmm. size of the boat. Mm -hmm. So once you get like three or four hits and you can start to kind of get a sense for a feel, you can start to say, all right, well, if we've already determined kind of the width of the boat and we know it's about 170 some feet, you can start Mm -hmm. to say, all right, we can maybe project out a little bit farther. So we don't need to really follow along like the guys on Oak Island probably need to do because they don't know really what they're searching for. We right. have the benefit of having a framework to really kind of guide us. But yeah, we'll miss for sure. But at least then it kind of recalibrates us and say, okay, well, if we're starting to shift this way, now we need to kind of look this direction as opposed to over here. But right. basically when we, when we bring people to the museum, we say we played Battleship for about <laughs> two days. And that's really what it was. You drill it's down. Great, yeah. Orange flag is a hit, white is a miss. And after a couple of days of doing that, you got enough of those orange flags, you get an outline of the boat, and now you know how it's laying in that field. Yep. Wow. And this picture here, this one's the one that really just blows me away. That's Um, a big dick. That's a huge (laughs) dick. That's a big dick. Rick and Marty are talking about doing a, uh, you know, when they, they at, well, I don't know if they're still going to, but when they actually figure out where the money pit is, they were talking about doing a, a 100 foot diameter hole, uh, 200 feet deep. Um, this is a huge hole right here. I mean, this is massive. And that boat, I mean, you're talking, I mean, do you, 
how deep what do you know how deep this was when they got to the top of it here i know this is just the first layer of it right uh drilling down to the boat from from surface down to the main deck was about 37 feet to the bottom of the boat you're going about 45 feet um but the size of the hole this is six weeks into the dig so we still you can see the boilers in the center part of the photograph we still have the front of the boat to uncover so it's under that excavator that's up on that hill uh so no our hole got about the size of a football field 45 feet down i would say that guy in that excavator must be the highest paid job a guy on that yeah look at it he's hanging on the side of that little ledge right there yeah, the gutsiest one for sure. Yeah, that's that uh, could collapse at any moment, and he's over. He goes. I mean, that's that's scary work right there. Yeah, we've had a few engineers. You know, those kinds of guys come to the museum over the years, and they they do look at how steep our hills are, and they just kind of they're like, "Don't do that again." They say, "Yeah, <laughs> fan that out a little yeah. bit wider next time," yeah, which for me for me was great because I was four years old when all this was oh. going on. So while all the guys are working, I'm sledding down those hills going into the dig site great time uh but no yeah the the hills pretty steep and that dig was done in the winter time correct uh we dug during the cold part of the year uh the dig was only four and a half months but during the winter is the best time um the cold actually does help pack the side of those hills so that was one of the reasons why we felt comfortable with that steep that steep grade of a hill the cold was just keeping them packed so the water wouldn't you know everything cave in on us um water table does naturally drop a, a little bit during the winter mm-hmm. less chance of another rain or a flood coming in and getting right. flooded out of the hill yep. but probably the most important reason why to dig during the winter is the first time that artifacts are being exposed to oxygen and sunlight mm-hmm. nature for all these years 132 years the entire collection was void of oxygen sunlight and it was in a consistent cold temperature so bringing these artifacts out into a cold atmosphere is a much easier transition than bringing them out uh, during the, the heat of the summer with the light and the heat just beating down on them. So winter is far and away the best time to dig up steamboats. Yep. It looks like in that, it looks like oh. in that picture, there's, there's a lot of water still at the bottom. So you're still pumping. Oh, we, were, we had to keep our pumps going 24 hours a day and wow. it took 20 pumps. Initially the, the thought was 12 would be enough, ended up taking 20. And that was just to get that water right. Just a little bit under that um, main deck level. So if one pump went down, the guy said you could feel the water start to rise back up on your body. And oh, in some wow. spots, you know, they're moving around in water. It's up to here on them already. And then if one went down, you feel that river water kind of coming right back up on your chest. That was kind of a scary moment, but it took 24 hours of that, of those pumps operating. Wow. There was that much water just trying to get right back into the hole. Right. Wow. Now you did mention about when you were there and you were just a young man. And I think we have uh, a picture here. Let's see. Oh, there he is. Yeah. (laughs) Little old Maddie. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now is this looks like it's one of the, uh, one of the water wheels right here. All right, what do you yeah, call it? Yeah, that's, yeah it's one of the wheels. Yeah, I'm right behind. I'm right in front of the hub. So yeah, yeah I can see that. I can see the part of the yeah part of the structure of the of the wheel. So little did I know when I took that when that photo was taken. I mean, when I was four, little did I know all these years later, I get up right next to that thing every day at the museum, and I have to grease it every <laughs> single day. Uh, that's hilarious. 
I think we got one more too. I want to show. Let me uh, jump back here real quick while I pull it up. There's one more that uh, uh, you shared with us. Um, let's see. Ah, oh, here it is. Uh, and this uh, this one here appears to be uh, the entire family. Well, uh, we're missing one. Uh, my oh, okay. younger sister Jessie was only about one at the time, so ah, no, okay. she was she was probably at home. But that's yeah, me, my older sister Jenny, my mom Lori, and then my dad. So, and this wow. is actually a really you know fun thing to see just because when people come to the museum and they walk around, they see all the pictures on the walls and a lot of the videos, there is no, there is no photograph of David in the museum because he was the photographer. He's the one who snapped all these photos. So wow. to actually have a photo of Dave at the dig site, I think this honestly might be one of, I don't know, two or three Wow! from the dig. I've wow. never seen another photo of Dave actually working down in the hole i've seen video clips of it but mm -hmm. never just an actual photograph so they, wow. these are these are rare things to have yeah yeah and look sure. and, and and look behind them how steep that is i know it's yeah. a little close to the edge yeah. a little close a little to the edge, edge. yeah <laughs> you're trusting that that dirt very well there yeah um what a fascinating thing though to grow up uh and and i guess this this excavation uh, took about four months right is that i think you might have mentioned that already but it, it took about four months to get through this yeah yeah four and a half okay. months again you kind of wait for the cold part of the year to do it and mm -hmm. honestly four and a half months also because it was just so expensive to keep mm -hmm. all those pumps and generators going 24 hours a day we didn't have time to mm -hmm. literally let it go on any longer we had to get in get everything out turn off those pumps and because that was our most, you know, I think our daily fuel bill was like 650 bucks back wow. in 88, 89. Wow. So we knew there's no time to really kind of enjoy some of these things or take time to learn about it in the moment. It right. was enjoy it for about four seconds, document it, <laughs> and then keep on going yeah. on to the next box. So did they just work in the daylight hours or, or did they have spotlights to work at night? We worked at night. Yeah, there, there, there were some times, honestly, not a lot, just because you dug all day and you found artifacts during the day. And kind of the routine or the rule was, if you found it, you were responsible for it. So after digging all day, the sun's starting to set, it's about time for dinner. You know, you're tired, you're worn out, but you still have all this stuff that you found from the entire day of digging. You've got to take it off site. You've got to take it to either Jerry's restaurants where we had freezer space designated for the some of the artifacts that we had to freeze. Um, other artifacts went to caves, uh, cave space that we rented here in the Kansas City area. And so for the next several hours, you know, your day wasn't done when you're done playing in the mud. You had to go clean stuff off. You had to freeze it, more documentation. So sometimes, you know, that didn't get done till midnight or one in the morning. You just right. get up, do it again the next day. So oh. we did have a little bit of night work going on, but that wasn't a, a normal routine. Yeah. Yeah. One of the questions that uh, one of the viewers asked was, uh, this was Linda uh, Simmons, uh, and she asked the question, so uh, is there no way that they took out the boat out of that hole? Did they just take the cargo and left most of the boat there or the wood and all that? Yeah, we we did take out um, the stern of the boat. You know, we wanted some kind of, you know, piece of the boat to have on display in the museum. Mm -hmm. But in that episode where, you know, we're, we're, we're showing uh, Marty and Maddie just the, the scale of the boat. We're saying that's the main deck. And when we were looking for museum space, you know, we got a call from the realtor guy who had that museum or that building at the time. It was a produce warehouse. So it was just a big industrial space that we were able to kind of walk in, take a look around. 
And we said, this is a great big building, but even this is not big enough to house wow. the entire Arabia boat itself. Um, that with a combination of how much it would have cost to preserve that amount of wood, um, we knew that was probably out of our reach at the time. So we said, we'll leave the rest of the boat underground, let nature continue to preserve it as it did the first 132 years. Yep. If we win the lottery a few times, maybe we'll go back and get the rest of the boat. But we know we know where it is. It's not going anywhere. Um, but the rest of the boat still underground today. Um, Linda brought up a good question, too. She said, well, uh, actually a statement, more or less. She said, tell, uh, ask if, if Matt, if you would explain cave space. Uh, you mentioned that about going back to the restaurant and um, yeah. uh, you had to put uh, they put it in cave space. Yeah. In the Kansas City area, there are just there's a lot of soft limestone caves where businesses operate okay. out of. So it's just literally space that people have gone in, blasted out, carved out, and you can store people store um, old cars like, you know, antique cars. For years and years, Hollywood used to house a lot of um, the original films from movies like Gone with the Wind. Um, I've heard that, yep. Now that yeah, they were here because it was climate controlled, uh, no chance of fires, any things like that. So it's a very safe environment. And from our perspective, it's perfect because it's underground, it's cold, and it's dark, which is exactly what nature had already been doing for all those years. So when we're bringing up all these artifacts, we're able to just put it right back into virtually the same environment, kept it stable until we were able to learn how to go about the preservation process that happened after the dig was done. Right. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's Kate. She's one of our regulars and she always has some good uh, comments to bring up there for sure. We definitely appreciate all of that. Um, all right. So let's move along with this. Uh, see, we're getting close to being an hour in. So I don't know how, how much time you had, but I hope you can hang around a little bit longer with us. I, I try to limit it. Good. Thank you. We try to limit these to, uh, to two hours, so we won't go over that. But um, uh, let's see here. So again, going back to some of the pictures, you can see the main deck right here are what I'm assuming is the main deck. Yes. Uh, looking at some of this and you can see the wheels here, one on that side and what's left of the, the one on this side. Yeah, um, that is just so cool. But you can kind of get a perspective of uh, and and again, uh, what how just how big that was. Uh, this is a, a shot here. I think as the uh, Maddie was talking about or the narrator was talking about taking out some of the, the things you were finding. He mentioned something about cheese at one point that was being preserved. Um, and then, of course, there's some uh, wagon wheels that are being pulled out. Uh, what a job. I mean, this it would be fun and exciting, but a lot of work. I mean, my goodness, the the work involved to get this accomplished is just has to be staggering to, like you said, and then everybody that takes something out, you're responsible for the, whatever you find. That's, <laughs> and, and again, now we're jumping back to the museum and here's your father, you know, talking about some of the things I'm assuming of course, that everything we see on these shelves and these next few slides I'm going to show came out of the Arabia, right? Everything. That is, yeah. Everything there, are, there are other than the wheel, that you guys saw, mm -hmm. I don't, there is there's no other replicas. So everything you're seeing that is an actual artifact that came off of this boat. So when they okay. pulled all, <clears throat> when they pulled all these artifacts off of the boat and they took them to the caves for storage or the freezer or wherever, mm -hmm. they probably were in pretty rough shape. So they'd have to be conserved or restored somehow. That must have been a, a big project. <laughs> a project that is still going on today. Uh, people come through, you know, you look at these pictures and you see the, the 
I mean, you see thousands of things, but we literally have millions of artifacts in the museum. Wow. But after 33 years of cleaning and preserving, we've still got somewhere between 50 and 60 tons still to go. Wow. Um, at our current rate of preservation, if we just worked nonstop, if we just didn't stop, we're estimating somewhere between 10 and 12 more years to get the Arabia collection completely done. <clears throat> wow, and that's, that's staggering. Yeah. So that's job security. Um, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, you know, what you see is kind of what we saw when it first came out of the ground. I mean, so many of these things, I mean, they looked absolutely brand new. Now some things just clean up a little bit nicer than others, like dishes, they're immaculate. They look just as good today right. as they did when we pulled them out of the mud. Things like boots right here, you know, they look great. I mean, you could obviously see what it is and that it was in great condition. The thing with the boots, every one of these boots you see right here, they're all leather. Animal proteins, leather, hide, silk, those do great in wet environments. What does not do well is plant fibers, so cotton. Every one of those boots was originally sewn together with cotton. So in our preservation oh, process, great. we have to preserve the leather for sure, but we also have to hand stitch every single boot and shoe back together. And oh, there is wow. nothing more frustrating than spending all this time sewing this one boot together. I don't know how long it takes you, but you get to the very end and you look down, you see how the holes don't match up perfectly because we use the original thread holes. You got to take it. You have to start all over again. <laughs> oh, no. One boot. Every, oh, single, every single boot takes roughly four months of preservation from the time we start to the time it gets on display. And we found 4,000 boots and shoes. 4,000 so, boots and shoes. 4,000. 4,000. My goodness. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and somebody, I saw somebody ask, you know, when, of course, they, when they watched the show and they saw the, the picture of these, did did you try any on? Did anybody try a, a pair of boots on? Just Not, to see? Not that I am aware. Now, if someone did, you know, kind of with no one was looking, then they, they can they have a story that no one else can tell. But as far as right. I know, I, I don't think anyone's tried to stick their foot into one of them. You can see, like you mentioned here, the the uh, the padding on the underneath side of the saddle, uh, obviously deteriorating very badly, and then the stitching, of course. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. These look like whips. These look like yes. bull whips in there. Yep. Those are whips. Wow, mm -hmm. that's just fascinating. I, I, I'm this, the the immensity of the things that you took out. I mean, this one here, all the hardware. You know, obviously heading for a hardware store mm -hmm. uh, or several hardware stores. I think would say um, with the, this amount of stuff. I mean, hinges and handles and and locking mechanisms and hooks. I just, oh my gosh. I mean, this is the time in this part of the country where people were developing. You know, they were building the towns, they were building the homes. And a lot of this stuff, a lot of the hardware was on its way up to a town called Logan, Nebraska. It was literally just getting up and going. We actually found wow. two prefabbed homes on board the Arabia that are on our way up to Logan just because they needed some temporary housing as wow. they were continually building the rest of the town. And when this boat sank, people up in Logan, they were so new. They knew we're not going to survive the winter without these supplies. And it's too late to get another boat up here in time. So people started leaving, started moving across the river to Sioux City, Iowa. So years later, or I don't know how much long later, but the next little census that came around Nebraska, Logan was wiped off the map. So an entire oh, wow. town gone. And all that's left is what's in this museum. But in total, there were 16 different towns along the Missouri River 
roughly 50 or so general stores were waiting for supplies. And wow. again, a lot of it, the stuff to build the towns. Yeah. Wow. And you would need a lot of supplies. I mean, all these things are things you would definitely need. Like you see the hinges back here on the shelf and just all these things are, you know, that would line the shelves of, or boxes in a hardware store, the knobs, all these doorknobs and stuff up here. Um, wow. It, it's just incredible. I mean, we were looking at some of the, uh, some of the things like this here that they found on Oak Island, some of these rods and mm -hmm. whatnot. You, you see some of these things and you're like, hmm, that looks kind of a familiar item, you know, uh, but um wow just and and you guys had to i i would assume that these probably were in wood boxes like a whole box full of this particular handle right here or something like that i'm assuming but um yeah it, it was a combination you know sometimes you'd open a box and you'd see all doorknobs or you'd see all of mm -hmm. one particular thing other times you'd open up a barrel and it was an assortment of so many different things. Wow. It really was just dependent on whatever the buyer needed. So if you, right. if you needed a small shipment of stuff, but you need a large variety of things, it was one container, but you had hundreds, dozens of different styles of things. Mm -hmm. um, others were just very specific to one particular kind of artifact. Right. I, one of our, one of our uh, viewers was watching and uh, Jan uh, Jan Scorza, she's another one that we get a lot. Uh, she calls into the show sometimes, and we we uh, really do appreciate her. She said that looks like her uh, closet, her boot closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Just closet. Kidding, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so now um, in so that was Arabia, and that was the things that you found there. Uh, and again, we found out that a lot of the wood was left uh, underground, and I, I'm assuming you just covered it right back up. Uh, and then returned the, the field to the farmer who was, you know, uh, using that as a cornfield or soybeans or whatever it might be grown mm -hmm. out there. Um, so and that's good. So now it's most of that wood and everything is still down there. Um, now we talk about the multisite. And as I remember from watching on the show, your father had originally, or I don't know if you were with him at this time, um, found where it was, but then this flood happened, right? Yeah, we found... Uh the Malta years ago. And so we had drilled down, we outlined, we knew exactly where the boat was laying in this field. And I think that was the spring of 2018. If my, if my memory serves me right, I think that was 2018. We had a really big flood, this part of the country. And one of the dams upriver just broke and the entire farm field was just so flooded out that I don't think the water even left that part of the field until after Thanksgiving. Which oh, is, wow. It was incredibly wet. So I wow. washed away all the markers, washed away, you know, just about everything other than one pole that we had that was our hot spot to identify the boiler location. So we knew when we got eventually back into the field, we're like, all right, this part's done, but we've got to re-outline this entire boat all over again. Right. Wow. And then we get to the point where um, Marty and uh, and uh, Maddie came out to uh, the cornfield. You guys took them out there. And you're meeting up with the drill guys and now you have to go through the process of actually you know laying it out once again um and it was good that, that at least that one stake was there so you knew where the the boilers were yeah again just you know the hard part's really kind of done now you just kind of have to do you got to play battleship again and that's kind of fun you know you get to actually see something come out of the ground when you do it but we got to figure out really where that boat is Okay, we're back, I think. Oh, Are you back? I'm yeah. okay. <laughs> well, I, I got I was getting nothing but circles going around there for a minute. I hope uh, we didn't lose too many people there. 
Um, it, I might have been just on my end. Okay, here we go. Looks like we're all back now. Um, so anyway, that you guys came out and you met with the drill team, and oh, they were looking at you know, uh, I guess the brown, the brown area is where the river used to be, and then the blue is where roughly where it is now. Is that what this showing? Yeah, this is the, these are the maps from the Army Corps of Engineers. So these are, you know, the official records that, you know, we kind of go by. But yeah, the, the brown part is, and again, that kind of gives you a good sense of just how wide the river could be at certain times. And you can see islands forming right in the middle, right yeah. next to, yeah, just on the left side right there. I mean, there were islands that would be in the middle of the river. So it just gives you, again, a sense of just how wide the river could be. But then Corps of Engineers channeled it to the blue that you see today, but you can see just how drastic, uh, drastically different the river is today versus 1850s. Right. And you see like this spot, this is the one I kind of noticed here. Here's that Island you mentioned. This is the one spot that I looked at and you're thinking, man, that's narrow. That's I narrow mean, I have no idea there. this, this, this actual size here, but that's trying to get a riverboat through that, uh, could be very treacherous. I mean, yeah. Well, you know what? Again, the rivers are just so big. I mean, it's kind of misleading. We think that it's going to be really narrow to do it right there, but that's still probably large enough that you put two boats side by side. They could still probably fit through. Uh, I don't okay. know if you want to do three, but you know, <laughs> yeah. one for sure without being too worried. But again, you just never know what was there. You know, is there a snag there now that wasn't there a week ago when I came through yeah, that you don't yeah. know. Now you've narrowed the field to say, OK, I hope there's nothing right here because there is no other option of going left or right. Right. And, then, you know, and you think about the pilot of the riverboats that that had to be a high paying job, I would think you would want a very experienced person doing that. Actually, in a lot of cases, the pilot was paid more than the captain because the pilots knew the river like the back of their hands. So they were the highest paid person on the boat. Yep. Wow. And that's, you know, the same thing happens when you come into port and stuff. You got the pilots that actually bring in, yep. you know, it's they the guide, you know, what's that? It's uh, the uh, harbor pilots. Yeah, the harbor pilots. Exactly. They know where everything is and they're guiding everything in with the tugboats and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, and here's a shot and I wanted to capture this. And this was something that you had mentioned before, and we can talk about that real quick, um, that all the people, you know, you mentioned about all the people that are involved in the job. There's so many different groups of individuals or companies that have to be brought in to get something like this accomplished. Um, and it's good. And that's why I like to take pictures like this and show this because it is important to show some of the other folks that are involved and recognize them for the work that they've done. And here we got Jared and Wade uh, that were part of this uh, drilling company. They didn't, I don't know if they actually named them. It looks like JST on his hat there or something like that on his mm -hmm. hard hat. But, um, these guys came out. Now you had mentioned earlier talking about some of the folks and I want to take a moment to do that now. I'm going to switch back here for a second and grab that picture. Um, you were talking about the, the people of your family and the guys who were involved initially um let's see i think i've got that picture here it is right here now obviously this is going back to uh finding the arabia um but i wanted to bring this picture up real quick to just because of the recognition for all of them uh that worked so hard to make this happen so uh obviously your father's sitting here who else do we have in this picture so right next to him that's jerry so that's the 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 restaurant owner that's the pickle leader as that's we the guy with the pickles. That's oh. the pickles yeah at least I call him pickle eater. Truth is, he actually went on to sample just about everything. So oh, some of that butter and cheese they talk about, tried it. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
Oh, what else did Jerry try? Oh, Jerry tried cherries, uh, salt pork. I mean, it, he tried just about everything. He gets and he's alive on. today to talk about it, right? We, we kept a real close eye on him <laughs> right after that pickle incident. And, you know, he was pretty good for a while. And we're still watching him today. I saw him at the museum just the other day. So he's still doing good. Um, but, no, that's so that's Jerry. So that was the guy that we met at his restaurant. And him and my grandfather, Bob, uh, behind him, uh, they were good buddies. Um, my grandfather walked into Jerry's restaurant um, when – my grandfather was one to start kind of doing air conditioning furnace repair. He just walked into Jerry's office and said, uh, sir, you know, I fix, I fix just about anything. So if you have something that breaks down, I'd like to be the guy you call. And so kind of started out just a working relationship. Then, be, then they became great buddies. They learned to fly helicopters and planes oh, wow. together. So they became real close friends. So when the idea of digging up a steamboat came along, Jerry was pretty quick to say, oh, I'm, I'm on board with this. Yeah, um, exactly. so Jerry, and then my uncle Greg sitting in the middle of the bucket right there, okay, right here. Yep, um, the younger of the brothers, um, and then Dave Luttrell is over mm. on the right side. So Dave was the construction uh guy, so he owned the, the tractors and everything. So he brought all the fun toys that the boys got to play. Yeah, with. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. And like you said, there's so many people involved, but this was the core group. They got it all. These are the guys that were in the restaurant booth and talking about it, I'm assuming, right? And said, let's go do this. Yeah, the four of them, uh, my family and then Jerry and then Dave Luttrell came along later. Amazingly mm. enough, there was a story written about us just in one of our local newspapers. And Jerry tells the story that he was on his way to one of the Kansas City Chiefs football games. He was getting home from church on his way out to the game. His phone rings and he picks it up. And this guy says, my name's Dave Luttrell. I just read the story in the newspaper about you guys. And I want to do one crazy thing in my life before I die. And <laughs> I want to dig up steamboat with you. And Jerry kind of laughed. He's like, well, sir, I'm literally on my way out to the Chiefs game. Give me your number. Let me call you back when I get home. And the guy said, where do you sit? I'm on my way too." They sat like three rows away from each other. Oh, so wow. They, what a they, coincidence. They get go. together, the game, they talk about everything. And that's when Dave Luttrell signed on as being, you know, wow. our, our fifth partner. And that's so that's an amazing story. Just again, so many weird little things happen to make all of this kind of just work for everything. And so Dave Luttrell construction, uh, Jerry had the restaurant, so he had freezer space. Uh, my dad was kind of the researcher, you know, he's the one who really soaked in the story of steamboats and that's why he mm -hmm. knows just everything about them. Now, my grandfather, Bob was kind of the electrician. He, he never had the degree of an electrical engineer, but he had that mindset, you know, he could fix anything. Um, and then my uncle Greg, he really gravitated towards the preservation of everything. So after the collection was brought up, you know, he's the one that really dove into the culture of the things that we were working with. And he was just, he led the way as far as what we do today in preserving things. So if you take any one of these guys out of the equation, this doesn't happen nearly right. as well as it did. So they right. all deserve equal credit for what we have today. Absolutely. Wow. That's fantastic. So I, you know, you, you, you had to mention it. So, uh, you know, or, you know, just a little sidebar here real quick, the chiefs going to the Super Bowl. What do you think? Fingers crossed. <laughs> Feeling good. You know, I, I go back and forth. Like, do I want to play? Would I rather play the Bills or the Bengals right now? Now I'm feeling, I, I think, I don't know. 
I, again, <laughs> it's been such a weird up and down season for us. I'm, I'm very hopeful and it wouldn't, it, I wouldn't be shocked one way or the other. I had have been shocked right. in the last two years if we hadn't made it, but this year I'm like, yeah, we'll see what happens. But <laughs> all right. I'm a, uh, I, even though I live in Pennsylvania right now, I am a, I lived in San Diego for quite a few years. And so I'm a charger fan, even though now they're in LA. And of course that's been kind of a rivalry one and one for the season, but uh, they didn't make it because they lost to the Rams. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I'm excited, you know, because it's it's just fun to see that kind of talent in your division. So it's it's fun to think, all right, this is going to be a fun little rivalry between Mahomes and Herbert for the next several years. So mm -hmm. some people in Kansas City hate it. Some of us are actually really excited about it because at the end of the day, we just want a good game. We don't want to, yes, to exactly. you know, blow people out every week. Yeah. You know, that's we'll save that for the Raiders. That's fine. We'll blow them out every time. <laughs> Great with it. Denver, uh, uh, whatever, but yeah, well, Chargers, let's go. I think uh, Linda likes you even more now because you uh, just said all that because she talks about Mahomes all the time, and I'm like, ah, whatever, you know, I always give that to her. So her and I go back and forth on that, especially when they're playing each other. I said, Herbert's going to tear him up, you know. Uh, so, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun with that. But anyway, I had to ask because you mentioned the Chiefs game there, so I had to ask that question. All right, so – uh, one of the things that was so interesting about uh, the actual drilling was because you had mentioned, or maybe it was your father had mentioned, that when you're drilling and you want to pick up or pull up a piece of, I think it was pine, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. You're okay. looking for two kinds of woods. You're looking for pine and oak. Okay. Now pine explain the upper deck. Pine was a lighter wood. So you'd make the upper deck structures with the pine okay. and then the whole of the boat was made with oak. It's a much okay. stronger, much heavier wood. Uh, so those are the two materials that steamboats were made with. So if you're pulling up oak and pine, for sure, there's nothing like that down there naturally. So if you see that coming out of the ground, you're hitting steamboat for sure. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, for sure. That's And that's what you have to look for. I know the guys on Oak Island, they're looking for, you know, and it's kind of funny how they do things. So they'll pull up a chunk of wood, they get in a core sample, and they'll smell it to see what, you know, what does it smell like? And that'll mm -hmm. help. Also, when they put it in a bucket of water, if it floats, it gives it a certain year frame. If it sinks, that tells them it's a little older or whatever. And it's really kind of cool how they figured all that out. But um yeah, the, the wood, and, and you know, we, we always, we watch Curse of Oak Island, we say, oh, they found more wood, you know, but it tells a story. That's what I keep saying to everybody. Finding that wood definitely tells a story. Here you've got your story. Have you hit the deck or have you hit a part of the hole uh, by the different types of wood? So it, it's very important to know that. And I think this was a piece of uh, pine, I think, was, um, that the, you were looking at initially and saying, yep, okay give you an idea of where you're at. Now you would move to the next drill site and try again. And again, like we mentioned before, try to get that trace that outline. Um, and knowing that, you know, the basic dimensions of the boat itself, that will help you know exactly, you know, how wide and how long to, to give you a good idea of where to continue drilling. Um, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And they also found a piece of uh, uh, finished lumber there that had the edge to it too, that kind of gave things away. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's always kind of exciting because you expect to get little pieces of, you know, both oak and pine. But when you start to see finished edges of something, it just gives you a little bit more of a taste of like, oh, this is, I mean, this is man-made. I mean, this is clearly, you know, just something that people haven't seen in all these years. And someone had put taken the time to build it, put it together, and it's carrying all this treasure. So 
oak and pine, just generic pieces of wood. That's, you know, that's always great to see. But when little pieces of finished edge come together, it just kind of amps things up a little bit. So it's always really exciting when you find something like that. Yeah. Uh, and this is where they, you guys have pretty much laid out exactly where it was. Um, and, uh, so, you know, finishing the line there now you, what you have to wait now, once you've laid it out and I'm assuming this is, I have no idea what time of year it looked like. It was, I was judging by the height of the corn now being from Ohio, I lived in Ohio for many years and they would, in Ohio, they would say knee high by 4th of July. That's what you're looking at for your corn. Yeah. Uh, Linda told me now nah, that's not the way it really works out in Kansas. So, um, judging what time of year was this roughly, obviously summer, but yeah, it was late summer. I think it was about late July, early August, I think, okay. um, my memory right. serves me right. So it was, it was certainly past 4th of July. Um, but no, I think it was late July that they were out there. So, um, at that point, you know, there's just no time to be able to say, hey, we can dig right now. There's just too much to do. Right. So right. at this point, you kind of have to say, all right, well, at best case scenario, we'll see in a year, you know, when the farmer will get his crop out of the field um, by early fall. Hopefully you're getting into the field and starting to uh, set wells and do the drilling and start getting pumps, pumping out the water. Um, right. But now at this point, now we're kind of just in the holding pattern. So we're excited but we're it's hard to just sit here for another season and be like i want to go dig i'm <laughs> it's cold out there i'm ready to be digging so right we'll, we'll see what happens so are you looking at i think <clears throat> i think if when i watched your your um, beyond oak island uh, video that you've done on the youtube page you had mentioned something about the winter of 2022 to start actually excavating the malta yeah, I think we've got, we have permission from the landowner. We've had that for, for quite some time. We have all the permits from the state that we need. So really what we're really trying to figure out, and the only reason we would not dig this next year is whatever happens with our next museum. Uh, the harsh reality is we have to move out of our current space in a few years, I, yeah. about five years. So before we dig the Malta, before you start bringing up another hundred plus tons of treasure that you need to preserve, need to house, and you take care of, we want to know there is a long-term home for it. We want to make sure that there is a place that we can share this collection with right. the world. So yep. that's why we haven't dug yet. But we, we think that we're going to have all those answers figured out, at least here in the next. Uh-oh. So no, he, we there you pretty go. much feel he like, knows. okay, if there's a year to go do it, yeah, if there's a year to go do it, we think 2022 is going to be a good year to go for it. Awesome. Yeah, we hope you can. And I noticed, too, that you had made a comment about how, you know, people would love to come and watch. Oh, can we come and watch this take? I mean, I would love to. Oh, that would no. be awesome. And you said, and then you said, well, because of insurance, you know, can't do that. Um, but you it's, also mentioned yeah. something about having cameras set up or something. Is that possible? Is that a possibility that people could watch remotely? Absolutely. I mean, if anything, the last couple of years has taught us is the 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 ability to live stream, you know, that, that and that's not going to go away. I mean, this is only going to get better and better as we move forward. And yep. we were actually talking about doing the live stream even before all the COVID stuff started happening, because we've always said this is such a great story. But there's such a huge chapter of that story that people never get to see. Now, right. during the Arabia dig it was kind of the, the wild West, you know, no one really knew what was happening. So we had yeah. friends come down. It was just, you know, on the weekends, you know, youth groups were coming down. So it was, yeah. and it was also easier because we're right outside of Kansas city. 
So mm-hmm. you have to drive only a few minutes to actually right. get to where the dig site was. The Malta is a completely remote location. You have to drive a couple hours and the nearest gas station that you can actually go and use a restroom is about a 20 or 30 minute drive oh, to wow. the farm field. So logistically getting folks down there, we thought this is probably going to be again from the insurance and all that standpoint, we said that might not be worthwhile. Plus the ability of these 360 enabled cameras that mm-hmm. are available now. My dream again, I'm the video guy, so I can dream this all I want. Now, whether we can pull it off a different story, but my ideal scenario is if you had a grid of 360 enabled cameras, you could set them all throughout the dig and you can move them as the dig expands and you get to new parts of the boat, but giving people the chance to log into the site and jump to one camera and say, well, everyone's over there right now. So I'm going to jump over to this camera and then be be able to pivot around and see wherever the action is and then move to the next one as action develops in other parts of the dig. That for me is the ideal scenario because then people can get as close to the action as possible, which you would never be able to do even at a dig site where you'd have to rope it off and separate people from the action. But giving people that access from the comfort of their own homes, kicking their feet back and just having a, you know, a cup of coffee or, you know, whatever that for me, I think is probably the best of both worlds. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? I know I'd be right there watching. I'd be watching it. I'd be watching it. That's for sure. Yeah, this is so, fascinating. So with the Malta, there's like 115 tons of goods on there. So you, you would have to, I guess, figure out or source out a place to store those. Like once you dig them up, you're going to yeah, have to have caves or, or whatever. Yeah, and again, the caves are also an option. Um, and we have freezer space available at the museum, uh, kind of designated oh, for the first part of the Malta collection. So dependent right. on the artifact, what it requires, what is beneficial for it, you know, we'll either take it to the caves or we would take it to, you know, the museum to start preservation, um, which would even be more fun because now you're clean. Now you're cleaning both Malta and Arabia side by side. So people coming to the museum, you know, next year possibly are seeing the beginnings of that next collection. And then we're maybe able to hold up two exact kinds of artifacts, 15 years different, two different boats, but you can see the comparison. You can see what's similar, what's different. Um, so that's kind of the hope at this point. Yeah. Wow. That'd be great. And I see people already popping into chat going, I'd watch, I'd be watching. <laughs> I know Perfect. I would be too. That that's, that's great. And we, I really, really hope that you can pull that off because that would be fantastic to be able, because then it's like the whole thing going on with Oak Island. Yeah. There's not live cameras out there, but we would, we, it makes us feel like we're, we get to be part of it, of watching history taking place. Um, or the uncovering of history taking place while it's happening. And that's for those of us who love history, that would just be fascinating. So I really hope that you get to do that. Um, Cause I, I know there would be a lot of you that you'd have, you have to have a big server because there'd be a lot of people wanting to log in and watch that. Um, we did have another good question. Uh, Jenny asked a good question here and she said, uh, this was for you, Matt, do you, do you know if the people who were waiting on the products or the, from these boats, uh, were ever reimbursed for the loss um, or they, were they just out of luck? Yeah, there were insurance companies back in this time, just like today. Um, there were five different insurance companies that had claims on boat and cargo. So when the boat sank, it was considered a complete loss. Uh, I think the boat came out to about $10,000 of insured value. The collection was roughly 8000 
So the general store owners, they were the ones who had pre-purchased and were waiting for their goods to come up. So they were reimbursed. Now, again, just like insurance today, they probably didn't get their full you know, rate for what they lost. Um, so they were probably able to purchase, again, another load. And again, boat sinking was such a common thing. It's not like this was an anomaly. So they're like, all right, another boat sank. I'll wait another few months to get my stuff. Um, so for the most part, people were able to continue on as they were. The right. people who really did were kind of out of luck were the folks up in Logan, Nebraska, because there was no time to get the supplies up to them for that winter. Right. And then people just started leaving town. So they were the ones yeah. out of luck for sure. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So, all right. Now we're going to jump over real quick as uh, we're getting down to an hour and 23 now. So we're going to jump back to the pictures here. Um, and then we've got the uh, the uh, captain, uh, McKettleson. Uh, no. Casey Kettleton, Captain Casey Kettleton. All right. I was almost ready to mis mispronounce that. Um, and uh, now you go on, you're going out to look for the Radner um, in the river. Um, and this one, this is the one where um, I, it really, and you, you had mentioned this about the bridge going across and how, how narrow it is uh, the actual river. And we got a little bit of a look at that from the, from the drone footage as you guys were on the, uh, um, you were on the pontoon boat working your way along there. So going out now onto this, onto the river there, and you, again, using the magnetometer um, and using mm -hmm. this and extending it out uh, off the front and being able to get some reading. Now, here's a shot of it here going, sticking out over the front, and you guys are working your way along the river, and you're watching for the the rise in the, uh, well, explain that to us a little bit, if you would. Here's a, here's a picture of it showing the, the mm -hmm. actual you know yeah um, yeah we'll do Go this ahead. real quick just for perspective go back a photo to see where that where the trucks yeah this one right here this is actually the lamine river so to get to where oh. according oh, okay. to the records the radner sank just above where the lamine comes in to okay. the missouri so okay. those records, that account right there is what narrowed our search down to say, okay, this is about where the boat should be. So this is a much easier access point to get to where we think the Radner was. So this would mean, and if I was to guess, I would say if you multiplied the width of that by about seven or eight, that's probably about the width of the Missouri. Okay. All right. So that's, you know, for scale, kind of what we're starting. So this I was is thinking this was awfully small. I was, <laughs> so yeah, this is a tributary. This is this small, yeah. this is small. Um, but then, so to, to your question, the magnetometer, what it does is the magnetometer reads the naturally occurring magnetic waves in the earth. So when you have something between North and South Pole, so when you have something big and man-made like these big iron boilers down below, mm -hmm. it displaces. So you're seeing that, that kind of, look right there it's displacing those waves and that's what the magnetometer is picking up on oh, so it's a little okay. bit more specific a little bit more accurate of a search versus like a metal detector but mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to look for right there so as you get closer um our magnetometer will start reading out various numbers and you'll see peaks and then you'll see valleys and so when you start to climb up and then it slowly starts to go down that's when you know you're finding something big like a steamboat. A little blip right there and it's gone instantly, that's nothing. But when you start to see a slow climb of those magnetic readings and then a slow climb down, that's a high point, and that's when you're over a boat. All right. 
now the and and i remember uh marty was talking to him uh to to your father uh to david about this and he was uh he's saying you know if you got around uh what 175 or so that was pretty good he was getting excited if you got over 200 he was getting really excited yeah um and then at one point here and i grabbed this picture i actually uh tom grabbed this one and it shows at 255 so i mean that's that's pretty definite that you're you probably found it is that what you're thinking there or what was the conclusion the conclusion is you know we went back several several times i mean again like you said earlier you spend hours and hours out there and you only see moments um but we did it enough times that it didn't feel to us that this is anything other than something like a big piece of iron now again the radner is a much smaller vessel than the arabia and and even Uh the uh the malta so every boat's going to have its own signature. That's why earlier you have to start, you have to form a base. You have to figure out in the middle of nowhere, okay, this is a naturally occurring reading for this point. And mm-hmm. then, then we start to get closer to where in our research we think the boat is. So then when we start seeing numbers over 200, that's when we're starting to think, yeah, this is, this is probably what we're looking for. You never really know. I mean, until you really drill down, and tap on that boat, even when we're looking for boats in the cornfields, you know, you can have that magnetometer reach and you can think, oh, that's big. That's a big number right there mm-hmm. until that drill comes out and you see that oak and that pine, and right. especially even a finished piece. There's that that little bit of mystery, that little bit of maybe not. And fortunately here, we think we found what we're looking for. Right. But now is the next step of determining if the boat's really down there. And that yeah. part we're we're working on right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that be done by, by a diver or is there some sort of technical way you can do that right. to actually verify it's there? Yeah, that's, I mean, we've never done this before. I mean, drilling down in cornfields, we've done that. We've, we've located about 11 other boats since the Arabia, the Malta being one of them. So we know exactly how that process works, but drilling down, you have to be so secure with your rig going down that drilling down in the river is something that we need to explore the options of and so we're working on what that would logistically look like uh, but that is the next step for us yeah it's like you say that boat is going to be buried in the mud yeah so correct yeah yeah it, the boat the the radner is not going to move around but our boat above is constantly exactly. moving back and forth with right. the turn of the river so you don't want to try and take a big pole down and start scraping across a boat causing more yeah. damage and just yep. cutting through the mud, you know, how much can the rig hold on? So we're, we're trying to figure out and we'll, we'll bring in people who work on the river. Obviously we've built bridges into the water, so it's perfectly doable. We just need to explore what those options are. Yeah. Wow. And that, you know, and that, like I said, and we were kind of talking about this earlier, at least I was mentioning that, you know, how fast the river is flowing and, and uh you know and it was showing sending divers down to to start to you know get the dirt off from around or the silt and the mud and everything off from around the boat i mean with that current and everything those divers down there i mean i that's what an undertaking i mean my yeah. goodness that, just to get the anchor points to yes. you're gonna put a barge or two barges yes. out there just to get the anchor points to keep something steady right would be a major job that's and how much traffic is guy. on these rivers yeah, how much? Yeah, well, how much? Is there a lot of traffic on these rivers now? Sure. I mean, nothing. Again, the river is just so incredibly wide that you will be able to navigate around. Okay. And yeah. where we believe the Radner is is pretty close to one of the bank, one of the shore shorelines. So okay. there is plenty okay. of other river space for the traffic to move around. 
but rivers, if you sit up on a bridge, you sit long enough, you still utilizing the rivers. They are still highways being used in the water, but um, yeah, that's plenty of space for the others to get around us. Now, will anyone be crazy enough to actually go down and do what we're asking them to do? Yeah, I'm sure those <laughs> folks probably exist, but I don't know any. But right. if you tell them to come down to Missouri, yeah, wow. I tell you what, you probably get a lot of takers on that. I know I would, I would be one of the guys down there with a shovel and you know, and or the you know, spraying with the like the fire hose cleaning off into once you find it. Now in the river, though, I don't know about that. I would do it in the cornfield, but in the river. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to be part of that. Yeah. Uh, and the, the yeah. Radnor could have some some unique challenges too, just by virtue of the cargo that it's carrying, right? Yeah. If you're yeah. going to be carrying guns, ammunition, I'm presuming you're oh, yeah. going to be Very carrying true. the stuff that's going to make that those guns and ammunition work. Right. Wow. Yeah, and being so wet, you know, there's, I mean, who knows what kind of condition everything's going to be in. You know, the, the boats that are in the cornfield, we kind of would know what to expect with, how nature preserved those, but something that's still, you know, underneath the current of the river. Again, there's just going to be a lot of unknowns about this one, which I guess makes it that much more exciting. That's what, you know, they're there and there are probably other great stories of these steamboats still in the river. So if we can pull up something like the Radner and then we, again, kind of like the Arabia, we're going to learn a lot about the process of actually how to do it. So then if we're looking for a bigger boat, down the road now we at least know hey it worked for this smaller vessel now we can apply the same ideas for some of the big boys oh yeah very good point you say you think you identified locations of about 11 others since the arabia yeah we've we've test drilled about 11 other boats um for various reasons we decided the other boats probably not worth uh the excavation the financial the time investment um so when you dig up a boat, you really want to feel good about your decision. And so far, boats one through 10, we never really felt that way. We just felt too uncertain about it. Malta, that was the first one since the Arabia that we found, that we test drilled, and we thought, this this feels good. This felt like what it felt like back in 88. So let, this is the one we're going to go for. Right. I was just wondering, because you were trying to get five decades worth of, of boats yes. found. Yeah. We just wanted to one for each decade. We're going to help fill in those missing decades. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think, and you know, that doesn't have to be a different decade, you know, because the Radner here is 1846 when it sank. So it's the same decade as the Malta. But when Ah. you start talking about the the military stuff that's on board, you know, Mm -hmm. that's going to be just again another chapter in American history. And my old job working for the Civil War, you know, documentary company, you know, people would talk to them. And they would say, like, some of the most interesting things they see in the museum, it's not the dishes. It's not it's not those things. It's the clothing. It's the shoes. It's the really simple, basic things that personal we items. know. Personal items. But, again, the, 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 when we look at Civil War photos and we see the photos of the, the infantrymen in their, you know, in their uniforms, when the war was over, they went home and they wore those. They worked them in the farms. They became mm-hmm. rags and then they were discarded. They're gone. So few of those exist. But right. to get down and find a steamboat that would have had fresh uniforms going up to supply these, you know, the soldiers, mm-hmm. you can't find that kind of stuff anywhere else in the world. So those are going to be the things that are going to be really exciting to actually get down and find because, again, they're just, they don't exist outside of steamboats. Wow. And, they, and this boat was heading for Levensworth, right? Fort Leavenworth. Yes. Fort yeah. Leavenworth. Just up, yep. just up in Kansas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. 
And then this was a picture of when your father was describing how a one possible way of bringing it up and trying to bring it up intact, which would be a major undertaking. But would that be awesome if that could be done? So talking about, you know, getting under it, getting all the dirt and, and the muck and everything and all that moved away from it, dredged away and then getting it raised up enough to get a barge underneath it and then raising the whole thing. If that can be done man i tell you what that would that's a major undertaking but wow if you guys could pull that off that would be fantastic to that's be a hollywood that. moment right there oh yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely that would be yeah. incredible yeah that would, would be pretty remarkable be incredible. yeah so we like yeah. to dream big around here you know whether we, we can pull it off to. again we we don't know oh absolutely you have no, to you dream have big to. you have to absolutely i mean that's that's the whole thing it uh you know if you can't um you know and and you talked about the malta being able to possibly reconstruct it um, if you take it by, yeah, I think you're, I think it was you or I don't remember if it was you or your father, but talked about taking it apart piece by piece, numbering all pieces and then reconstruct it later. So people yeah. can actually come and see a, you know, 1840s riverboat, uh, you know, put back together, you know, that would be fascinating. I mean, it really would. Yeah. And again, it's just these steamboats played such a huge part of the development of the West but yep. by the time, by 1880s, when locomotives were really making it to this part of the country, the steamboat era pretty much was done. Steamboats were still used, and as we said, boats are still utilized on the rivers today. But steamboats, because they're the nature of them sinking so easily, they kind of disappeared, you know, yep. and they're, they're just gone. So to yep. bring up an entire steamboat and have it on display for folks, they're, they're, they're seeing parts of American history they didn't know that were there i've had so many people in kansas city come to the museum and say we never learned about this in school yeah and yeah. a boat especially I'm, like the arabia so close to the civil war all of our history lessons now we we maybe had a paragraph about steamboats but mostly it was talking about civil war stuff but again a huge chapter just untaught just people just don't know the significance they played so that's what we're what, that's the story we're trying to tell yep um, got a couple more pictures, and then we'll get closer wrapping this up here. Uh, a couple more pictures that uh, you had sent to me, uh, and this is one um, of uh, one of the gentlemen looking at a jar of looks like pickles or something right there. Yeah, assorted um, vegetables. Yeah, all sorts of stuff in that one. That's yep. Dave Luttrell. So that was. I was going to ask you who that guy. was. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Dave Luttrell. Um, wow. And again, this is also kind of fun. Dave didn't like being in front of the camera a whole lot. Now he would sit there, and you know, if he was looking at something and if you snapped a photo, great. Um, but and we got a few photos of Dave, but no, we were finding all sorts of food on board that boat. Again, that constant cold temperature is what kept all this stuff in such great condition. So we even found bottles of champagne still had carbonation yeah. inside of them. Wow, wow. Yeah, I know John yeah. Edwards is asking about whiskey. Uh, was there that I know there were some other things that was mentioned on the oh on the show con or I, I don't remember all the different kinds of alcohol you found but yeah we so found gin cognac it? and the champagne the whiskey sadly we never found i said well i'll tell you oh, this wow. i'll tell you the story that my dad and my uncle and grandfather have told us over the years now if this is not the truth i'm at least telling you what the official line is <laughs> and all <laughs> okay. the barrels of whiskey were probably stored on the main deck so when it started to sink the river wiped them all downstream. So they're gone. Now, if there is a secret compartment in the museum somewhere that has all these barrels stored that they just haven't told me about, <laughs> nothing I can do about that. But more than likely, wiped down river and someone downstream just had a real good party. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. And you would think that that's probably true of the barrels, man. I don't know. Again, I don't know how they, they, you know, packed everything on these, on these boats, but uh, yeah, it does make sense. Um, I like this picture that you shared here too, because the uh, here you see the 100 and I, this is, this was the, um, uh, this was the Arabia, right? 170 some feet. Right. And uh, right up here, you see an 18 wheeler up here. Um, so you get it, this gives you that perspective of, of just how big, you know, you see this drawn out on the ground you're thinking, yeah, it looks pretty big. I, you know, don't have anything to compare it to. Now you have something to compare it to. Look at that, the size of it compared to that 18 wheeler. That's yeah. Well, yeah. And if, if the Arabia was carrying 222 tons of materials, picture 222 cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, they were, they were huge. And again, we kind of say that the, the the rivers were the highways, you know, of the 18, you know, during this time period. So now you got literally the vessels that were traveling up these highways. You have that comparison. Yep. Yeah. Here's some of the different assorted uh, uh, pie, uh, pie fruits that were um, that were recovered. Again, just fascinating that these. So, so these, so these bottles matter still in their original state. They weren't opened and the contents preserved somehow. They were. That's that's the way they are. We did open them. We did open um, to kind of analyze, kind of test, and then reseal. So we actually have a process where we we open the bottle, we clean out anything that needs to be cleaned out, but then we reseal it, we suck out all the oxygen, and we backfill it with nitrogen. So those have been opened, but okay. they're now preserved with nitrogen inside. Um, and the, we have to do the same thing with our rubber products. We actually found rubber boots, shoes, um, buttons, combs, which is an assortment of rubber items and oxygen and rubber do not blend very well. So we backfill that display case with nitrogen as well. But no, those, those have been open. And again, Jerry tried just about all that stuff that you see. Wow. So <laughs> that's fascinating. Still with us. Yeah. Yeah. I saw somebody mentioned uh, the, the Delta queen or the Mississippi queen, the Delta queen. When I was a kid uh, and I, and I, I had actually jotted this down, but when I was a, a kid, uh, I don't know, probably eight years old or so, um, that we actually went out and, uh, my, the Delta queen was coming by on the Ohio river and we went out and I had one of these old cameras and I went out there and actually got some pictures of the Delta queen going by. And that started me on that whole Mark Twain and the river boats and that whole thing as a kid, you know, just start that fascination. So this is something that I've, I've carried a, a quite a long time, but, uh, um, and, and you, uh, as a child getting to see that, uh, you know, your father working on Arabia and now you're so involved in it over the years, uh, uh, you know, coming back to it at least, and now involved in it. And now, um, what an adventure, what an adventure to, to take on. That just has to be so, uh, so fascinating The one of the, one of the people just brought up too, uh, was about this particular one, this one here in the, in the center is that rhubarb. And I think that's probably what it was. I would imagine yeah, for making rhubarb rhubarb pie or yeah. something yeah mm -hmm. so yeah yeah well that's that was the end of the pictures that i had and i was just going to say do you have any if and i know it's getting late we're going to wrap this up real quick um but uh, tell us about how you were approached by prometheus and or you know how did this come about do you do you remember how that all went down to be on the show to do all beyond oak island yeah and i mean we get you know calls emails quite a bit from various production companies and you know a lot of times you know people come in they say like you know this is a story that needs to be told and we're gonna we're gonna package it we're gonna 
you know, we're going to come in, we're going to film it, we're going to do everything, mm -hmm. but we need to own it. And there's, there's some, some issues, you know, with, with people thinking that they can own this story because the reality is it's not even our story. You know, this is all of our stories. You know, this is American history and this is something that we feel we just need to continue to share and be completely open with. And, mm -hmm. you know, because when these other production folks kind of come in, you know, they say like, you know, we want to document the Malta. We want to come in and film you guys doing what you're doing, but you need to sign these forms that say you're not going to promote you're you can't have media that come in and do these, you know, kind of news stories on us. And we've always thought that so limits the story, you know, that takes away yeah. the ability for folks yeah. like this to kind of learn about it. I wouldn't be able to do this if we had signed right. something like that. So when right. a company like Prometheus calls and they say like, we just want to share the story, you know, we want to come in we want to see what you guys are doing. And, you know, we kind of have this one show called Oak Island. I don't know if you've heard of it. And, you know, we just want to <laughs> share it on, uh, on our platform. You know, again, I'm one of my guilty pleasures. I was telling Tom earlier is, you know, I've loved ancient aliens. You know, I've just, I would all, I would edit and I just I listen to ancient aliens in the background. It was just one of my guilty pleasures and I would try to be productive, but then I'd realize it's been 45 minutes. I've stopped working. I'm just watching whatever's on their episodes. <laughs> so when Prometheus called or sent us an email, I was like, yeah, this is, uh, I'm okay. We're, we're okay with you guys coming in and sharing the story. That'd be a lot of fun. And so when they showed up and again, we've had a lot of, you know, LA, New York producer type folks come in and they, they act like LA, New York producers, you know, they, they're, they're from LA and New York. So they know what's up and they know how this should run. When Prometheus guys showed up incredibly relaxed, like so fun to just talk with. And I'm a video guy. So of course, I love being around just video guys in general. They were just incredibly chill. They, anytime I wanted to talk about camera stuff or, you know, the logistics or the production side, it was just great to just be able to sit and just visit with them. So the entire process of working with, with them was just absolutely wonderful. Yep. That's great. Uh, we did have another, one more question was from Kevin and he was asking about staking the claim. Uh, do you have to, if it's in the river, uh, or even on somebody's property. I mean, uh, how do you go? You, how do you stake that claim if it's in the river? I mean, is that a, a big process you have to go through to? Yeah, according to state law, at least in Missouri, in Kansas, I, I know the rules are very, very similar. But according to state law in Missouri, after 25 years, everything becomes property of landowner. So okay. digging up a boat like the Malta, as long as we have an agreement with the landowner and we get the permits to actually you know drill down do what we have to do totally fine now a boat like the radner you are in federal territory you are in the river so now there's another layer of having to deal with whatever that brings the government kind of getting those permissions again we've never done that before so we'll see you know kind of what happens there so it will be a little bit different mm -hmm. okay yeah, very, very cool. I see Kevin also popped up and said you were talking about ancient aliens. And if you know Robert Clotworthy, who narrates that, um, he said, ancient riverboat theorist Matt says, you know, yes. <laughs> there was an ancient alien theorist say, yeah. Hair. I don't have the hair for uh, yeah. George. Giorgio Suclos for the hair sticking up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love that. I got a cut too, today, right? so it wouldn't work that like that at all. Yeah. 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 Well, I tell you what, this has been fascinating. And that that wraps up pretty much everything we had to go over with the show. I, I tell you, um, we, we want to stay in touch, Matt. We really do, because um, you guys have some fascinating things going on. And it looks like you going on in the future. 
Um, we'd love to know uh, we, if you would keep us in, keep us in mind uh, to let us know as this goes along uh, with Linda and myself and Tom, um, because we'd love to, to find out if you are able to, if it looks like you're going to be able to do the dig on the Malta in, in the winter of 2022, uh, all that we'd love to know. And if you have anything new and exciting coming along, I, I just ask, I know you have your own YouTube channel and I respect that very much. So you got to get it out there. That information is out there. We'll be watching. But if there's anything that you could share with us as we go along, we'd love to know about it and be able to have you come back on and share it with us. Uh, if that's something you'd be willing to do, we'd love that because you have drawn us all into the story now. Um, and I, I, I got to see where it goes next. And I think that we all could agree with that. We so need to see where the story goes. Yeah, it really is. You guys well, have done a wonderful the, job. Well, thank and if you, you would. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I keep I, going. I was just going to say the thing about, you know, good stories is they are meant to be shared. So if we find something that's worthwhile, then yeah, I would absolutely love to come on, be able to share it with you guys. If I have something really interesting, I'll just send it to you and say, hey, this is something we've got, you know, enjoy it, share it with your with your audience, because at the end of the day, we just want to get the story out there so people know yeah. what we have found and what's to come. Yeah. And we thank you that that that's truly amazing. And, and like I said, you guys are doing some amazing work and it's, and please tell your father, you know, that, uh, you know, we, we, you've the, we, and again, what I was just telling you that you've drawn us into this story. We think he's done a fantastic job that museum. I cannot wait to see it with my own eyes and experience it, uh, there in Kansas city myself. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I think he's done a fantastic job and I'm so glad that he did this. So now that we can all share in this, in this with him and, uh, and see it through your eyes, at least for now, until, until we can get out there. And I think we've got a lot of people that want to come out and see this now. Um, and if you get those cameras set up, <laughs> I'm oh, man, trust, that's uh, there, be there will be cameras there. So don't you worry about that. We'll share this oh. as best we can. And thank you guys for, for letting me come on and just continue to share our story because that's what we love to do when i go to work every day i just get to tell a story and so this is great this is far, way more comfortable to do it here and share it with you guys <laughs> but i'll go to the museum on saturday i'll tell it that way too but thank you for letting me come on and uh be a part of this yeah well, thank, thank you thank you so much watching. For joining us. it's yeah. been great it's been a, it's really been an enjoyable hour and a half Yes, it Great. has it's two hours now. Yeah, almost two hours. Yeah, Time hour flies. forty-eight. <laughs> so, but anyway, thank you so much, and uh, folks, thank you for being here with us tonight uh, on this uh, special night that we were doing the Beyond Oak Island. We're going to be doing another one next week uh, where we're talking about uh, some of the uh, seventeen fifteen. I think we're going to be going over some of that stuff. Um, but again, fascinating work tonight with Matt and his father Dave and the whole crew over there. Um, it, yeah, it doesn't, it chances, it doesn't feel like two hours. It certainly doesn't, but thank you folks for being here with us tonight. Uh, don't forget that on Saturday, we've got uh, Carmen leg coming on. He'll be with us. Uh, he's the blacksmith over on Oak Island. If you don't already know who he is, uh, he's going to share some stories with us and stuff that, that we've seen so far in Oak Island coming up That's Saturday at two o'clock Eastern time. We got Carmen leg and then we got more people coming up next week for Oak Island and beyond and all of that. Again, thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to click on that subscribe button. And again, one last time, thank you, Matt, so very much for being here with us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you all. Yep. Thank you very much. Everybody have a great night. We will see you later right here on the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. Bye-bye now.